0: Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is
1: the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about some hockey card related stuff. We're also going to talk about the flower. And no, I don't mean Guy LaFleur. Sorry, Habs fans. I mean Marc-Andre Fleury, the other flower who now has 500 wins, third most wins of all goaltenders. So anyway, Tim, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing okay. The Penguins just won, so it's a good day.
1: Now, are you happy for Marc-Andre Fleury, even though he's no longer a Penguin?
0: Absolutely. I don't know a person that doesn't like Fleury. How can you not?
1: I thought it was nice that he agreed to be a Blackhawk. I mean, everybody's like, oh, he's going to retire.
0: And he may very well could have, but he got convinced to go. So good thing.
1: Yeah. So let's talk some card stuff first. Cause I'm, I'm excited. I, um, I did a card show this past weekend. We did that Bridgeview sports card and autograph signing. Um, that was in Bridgeview, Illinois on Sunday, December 12th. They had a couple of ex Chicago bears from the 85 bears team there. They had an ex uh, University of Illinois basketball player there who also made it to the uh, uh, NBA, Kenny Battle. The Bears that they had were Jay Hilgenberg and Keith Van Horn. And then they were also supposed to have Tom Pachorek, a former White Sox, among other teams. Uh, he he played for the White Sox. He was later a color commentator for the White Sox. He canceled. They brought in Randy Brown, an ex-Chicago Bull. I didn't have any of his cards, but everybody kept coming up to me like, oh, you got any Randy Brown cards? I'm like, no, why? And they're like, oh, he's signing autographs today. I'm like, really? Uh, I didn't know about that. And they're like, yeah, I guess he was a last minute replacement. I specialize in hockey, but I did actually bring some cards of the two football players and the one basketball player that were signing autographs, as well as like the usual. Like I brought some other Bears cards. I brought some Bulls cards. I bring some Michael Jordan cards. I mean, I'm mostly hockey, but... I diversified a little bit more at this show, and it was a pretty good show for me.
0: How many tables?
1: I had two tables, but then I had a friend with me who deals in programs, pennants, and ticket stubs, and so I actually rented three tables. He used one table, and I used two.
0: How many were there, at the show total? Was it like hundred tables or fifty it was like tables or
1: sixty-five tables? If I remember cor- correctly and oh. uh,
0: as you can hear there's a phone ringing in the background which oh, it's one that- we never use oh and it never so- rings because we don't give out the number but yet somehow it's ringing and it's somebody calling me from korea well
1: oh, they just so. want to know about your car's extended warranty
0: i'm pretty sure they're calling to draft me to the new korean khl team so oh cool yeah that's my call so i missed it oh well i lost my chance See, I'd wanna, anyway I, I
1: mean if i was going to play in the k I, it would have to be either for, um, Yokerit or the, um, what's the, is it the Kunlun Red Stars?
0: Yeah. The China? Red Stars.
1: Yep. Yeah. I
0: don't know. Anyway, back anyway. to what we were talking about. So the show, yeah, I was, I was saying how many tables like was the whole show? Was it like a hundred tables, 50 tables?
1: 65 tables.
0: 65. Decent size.
1: Now this was a small show. This was like not, this is just a one day show. It was for six hours. And I know you see kids at bigger shows like the Sports Cart Spectacular, but they really made it a point to try to attract families to the show. So every kid that came in got a free bobblehead figure. Oh. Yes, not the same one. And I didn't really pay too much attention to that, but that was one of the things that they advertised, free bobbleheads for kids. I think admission for everybody was free, but then on top of that, kids got like, Bobbleheads and like other gifts, so they there Wonder were who a the
0: sacrificial lamb was that had to unload all their bobbleheads.
1: I I don't know, but like I think it's I mean kids like free stuff.
0: I mean adults like free
1: stuff. Adults who doesn't like free stuff? free stuff? Well, everybody likes free stuff, but like the thing is, is that you I mean you being a parent, I mean okay, you loved taking your boys to the show. But if you had to go to the show by yourself, you wouldn't be like, oh, I really wish my sons are with me, right? Like if they come with you, you have a different kind of fun because it's a family experience. And if you go by yourself, then you could be more focused on finding what you want to find and buying what you want to buy, right?
0: To some extent. But if I went there, I'd be like, I wish they were here. So they'd give me their bobbleheads.
1: Oh, I see. So you're just <laughs> using. I,
0: need, I got some space on my wall. I need to put some things out.
1: Child labor.
0: Yeah, see? They're good for uh, something.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember your boys were good for helping me open my packs of cards back in the day.
0: And they were good for pulling some decent stuff out of blasters, too.
1: That's true. Uh, they were yeah. good at opening the packs. They were not very good at sorting the cards, though.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> they lose interest real quick.
1: So. <laughs> so anyway, the show was a lot of fun. There was a good amount of traffic throughout the whole day. It's not what you would call a busy it wasn't a busy show this was only the first time they had the show it wasn't like where you go oh my god this show is like crazy busy like it never had like that crazy busy like surge but there were times when it got a little busier and a little less busy and a little more busy and a little less busy but there were always people around on the floor to shop um and I think by two o'clock it like officially became dead and the show ended at three but by like two o'clock it was kind of like where the room just got quiet and then really the only thing you heard were like dealers silently packing up you know it was funny because like there were these two bros directly across from me hobby bros and they like they had like all these unopened blasters of like panini football and basketball and then they had like single cards like not even in like top loaders just like single cards out on the table Maybe in penny sleeves, but they were like kind of like foily kind of cards like prisms. So they weren't even like they weren't like flimsy cards. They might have been in penny sleeves. I don't know if they were in top loaders, but then they just had, they so they basically they had like a short wall of like blasters and then they like maybe like two or three blasters high where they kind of stacked up on the back of the table. And then in front of that, they just had all these random like football and basketball cards, probably all from like within the past year or two. I mean, they all seem really recent. And those guys left at like twelve, and I'm like, why would you leave three hours before the end of the show? Especially if there's another autograph guest coming at one o'clock. So I don't understand why some dealers pack up early. I mean I stayed till the end, but at two thirty I'm like, okay, this is dumb. I'm gonna start packing up slowly.
0: Yeah. I never understand why some of that happens and everybody has their own reasoning for why they leave early or what or whatnot. I know some guys are just there for the exposure and whatever, and they're just trying to get you know a few sales here and there. And once they get their sale, they could care less what goes on. So, but you know, I'm not sure about the hobby bros and what their motivation is other than money. So, you know I what, can, though, I can really imagine that's what it is. They made their money and they were off to the next thing.
1: What I did like about the show is that there seemed to be a lot of first time dealers at the show, there seemed to be a lot of like younger guys, like I said, like those two hobby bros uh, across from me. And then I saw like another guy and all his cards were in top loaders, but when he was packing them up, he was packing the cards back up into just like a cardboard box, not, not a shoe box, like made for top loaders, but just like a cardboard box. Like, um, I mean, the cards, again, they were in top loaders, so they were protected, but it was just like, Kind of like, well, I have this box lying around. Maybe I'll put my cards in this box. You know what I mean? Whereas, like someone like me, I have like my shoe boxes, and I could fit three shoe boxes in like a moving box with handles. And you know, like I kind, I'm starting to like develop a system for like.
0: It's all how about the much. overhead, man. Huh? It's all about the overhead.
1: How do you figure?
0: That's what the selling game is. It's about the overhead. If your costs outweigh what you're bringing in, then you're doing something wrong. So spending an extra three bucks or taking a box out of inventory to put your top loaders in thats too much so guys got to throw everything into a cardboard
1: box i can relate on some level because everything that i've done since i've been doing shows back uh back earlier this year at the national everything that i've done i've done in tiers. like where like when i did the national i borrowed display cases i pretty much borrowed everything i just brought stuff to sell and I borrowed everything else, like, you know, the dealer had grid wall that I hung my shirts on, and they loaned me display cases, right? Like, but I didn't buy any of those things. And then when I did the next show, the one that you you and I hung out at in uh, Lake Station, Indiana, that's when I had my display cases. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy some display cases because now I'm going to start doing this regularly. And then... When I did the Sports Card Spectacular, I mean, I bought another rack for my T-shirts, right? Like, so I keep slowly adding to my show. I don't want to say fixtures, but whether it's like having like more boxes or more, uh, like buying things specifically for helping me sell at shows, oh, right? I like,
0: I know what you're saying.
1: I mean, it's it, and that's actually what I'd advise anybody thinking about doing a show is start small. If you can borrow something from someone, do it. You know what I mean? That's a, if if you can borrow something from someone and you can you got a friend at a show and you can like get half a table from them just to get started, do that because I didn't want to be the guy who spent $2000 on display cases and extra tables and racks and this and that and the other thing and then like, you know, make $200 at a card show and be like, "Well, this is depressing." You know, instead you know, you make a little money, you you keep some of it, you spend some of it on the next thing. One thing that I bought that I thought was really cool, but it didn't go over as well as I would have liked, is I bought one of those magnet boards that could stand up on a table and I magneted cards of guys who were signing autographs at the show. And I made it very clear and easy to read so that when people would walk by, they'd be like, oh cool, Jay Hilgenberg, I'd like to buy his rookie card and get that signed. Unfortunately, most people who came to get things autographed had an agenda, meaning they had a signed football helmet that had like 11 signatures on it. And that was the thing that they were going to get signed.
0: That makes sense.
1: One guy did buy a rookie card off of me of Keith Van Horn. He bought it, but he was like so mad at me, like not mad at me. He was mad because he I, I think I, I tagged it at like three dollars and he's like well I normally don't pay three dollars for a common card and I'm like well I mean I told him I said well I mean I bought these cards and I had to get them shipped to me and I kind of got them last minute and whatnot and and then he's like yeah but I just don't like spending more than 50 cents on a common card and then
0: so don't go to a different table
1: That's well nobody else say. had them right and uh-huh. then he wanted to see all Spline of them demand and, there buddy so then he's scrutinizing these, these 89 scorecards that had purple borders, and he's, like, looking at it, and he's like, oh, I don't like this one, I don't like this one. You know, they were all near mint, and he's like, oh, the corners. And I'm, like, looking at them, and I can't see it. Uh, whatever. Some people complain just to complain.
0: You have his jeweler eye on, and he's like, oh, this is a PSA 3.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you look, it's got a clean front, clean back, Nice hey, edges. buddy!
0: I got news for you. If you're grading a 91 scorecard, you're doing it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, the first thing you're doing wrong is grading a 91 scorecard.
0: Yeah, and then buying a 91 scorecard for that matter. And there's so anyway, billions of them.
1: It was it was a good show overall.
0: One day, I'll get to that point One day,
1: I'm just not there yet. Well, so. I will. I will tell you this, and anybody who's listening. It is work. It, the work isn't just being at the show.
0: And that's why I'm not there is because of all the prep work that goes into making it, you know, the, what it is. I could be that guy that just throw, slaps stuff together and throws it out and expects it to sell. But that's not the person I am. So I would want to go through and make sure everything's priced and so, somewhat organized and everything else. It takes so much time and I it just I don't have that time. I wish it I does. had that time, but I don't.
1: No. And I mean, honestly, like since I've been, I I finished teaching at the end of uh, November and then I'm free up till January. And so I have more free time, but I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I, when I tell you that I spent all of my free time, the last three days leading up to the show, pulling more cards, researching the cards, figuring out a fair price. Sometimes it was like finding something that I wanted to sell and, Oh, you know, I've had this forever and I don't need it anymore. I'd like, you know, what's the best way to sell it? Oh, maybe this set I'm going to put in pages because it's a small set and it would look nicer in pages and it'd be more attractive. Because when you look at like 15 white cardboard boxes with like writing on them, they all kind of look the same after a while. You know what I mean? You just you just kind of it's kind of like when you when you go to a table with graded cards and it just kind of blurs out to you and you just know that this is not the table that you're going to look at. You know what I'm saying?
0: As soon as I see that as the bulk i'm walking
1: yep exactly i'm walking so there was some planning in that and then also some of it was just thinking like well how many boxes of cards do i really want to fill my tables with like rummage boxes because i'm starting to figure out that like smaller shows people are less likely to sit down and dig through boxes and bigger shows especially the ones that are like multiple days people have more time and they're more willing to sit down and spend time digging through boxes so oh, sure
0: you get way more foot traffic you get a bigger mix of those people
1: well that's true but also the thing is is that if you go to a show on a Sunday and it's a six hour show most people are not going to be there for six hours but when I would go to the what we used to call it the Sun Times show in Rosemont now it's the sports spectacular the Chicago sports spectacular or when I go to the national I'm there all day And if I'm buying and somebody has like cheap boxes, I'm going to sit down and look and I'll spend 30, 40 minutes. I've lost track of time where I'm just finding lots of stuff that I want. And then I have to look it up on my phone and see, do I have this one? Do I have this one? Because I put all my cards on a Word document and I put that Word document in Dropbox and then I'm sure to download that document to my phone so that I could just pull it up real quick and, and look at it and not buy the same... 50 cent marquee rookie card five times right so it was fun not sure if i'm going to do a show in january i'm going to try to do a show in february and then i'm definitely going to do the sports spectacular in march should we touch on the new releases coming out this month yep we got what 21 22. we're finally getting into hockey cards for this year i feel like we've been talking about last year's cards and we're already a quarter of the way into the, the new season, and we're still talking about the previous season's cards. 2122 22 MVP. Uh, well, it's either coming out December 15th or December 22nd, and then the retail version is coming out December 29th. It's um, interesting
0: because you think you would see more stuff if, if they were going to hit on the 15th, and I haven't really heard anything other than seeing a couple dates posted on some online retailers so mm-hmm. if it is in fact pushed back to the 22nd we've already seen pushback back on series one we've seen some cancellations so i don't know i mean there's still 2021 releases that are scheduled to come out that haven't
1: yet well so, i'm not falling for mvp this year i'm i'm just you're not I'm,
0: falling for it i'm not falling for it i mean essentially it's the same the same breakdown as it has been in the past. I don't know if you saw the sell sheets on it or anything as far as what's what's in it and what's not in it. You know, the checklist is out there. There's a lot of the initial rookies are mm-hmm. in there. You got your parallels like you always do. The gold script, silver script, super script, black script, all of those. Mm-hmm. They have ice battles this year, which was different. I thought those looked interesting but other than that it's kind of the it's kind of the same offerings and i'm sure there'll be another parallel an additional one or two available on the epac version that comes out what do you call it? the tribute parallels or the mm-hmm. the, tri- the tribute inserts are the mvp watch do you remember those
1: The MVP really. watch
0: design from 0102 that's when you weren't really collecting
1: yeah that right? was my yeah. kind of my dead zone of collecting
0: yeah, so in oh one, oh two, MVP had a design the design it's it a it they were M V P watch W A T C H. Kind of a tech a tech type design to mm-hmm. the card. So they're they're gonna have those with gold parallels and that kind of thing too. But the, the color and contours are back. Those look very similar to what they did before. They have a before and after insert set. Mm-hmm. Uh, And the Heart Attack set, I know they've had that before, and that's back. The thing that, and I think we talked about this before, were those gaming cards that they're throwing in there. Those Mm -hmm. mascot gaming cards. Mm -hmm. Like a 30-card set of all the team mascots. And I think, considering how much time we've spent on this show over the years talking about mascots, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to get that. Even if you're out completely on the MVP as a whole, I think you're going to want the mascot set.
1: Yeah, but do I really want to spend $75 on a Gritty card or a Sharky card? I mean, they're going to be like, what, one per box, one per case?
0: One every five packs on the base cards and one out of 20 on the foil board ones.
1: Okay, so are the foil board ones parallels or yes. are they...
0: Yes. So, that so you can
1: actually get all of the mascot cards pretty easy, not foil, not the foil ones, but the regular ones.
0: Yeah, you're probably talking one per box on the foil board, and maybe, what would that be? Like three? Three per box, four per box?
1: So the mascot set, yeah, I kind of like those. They look like Pokemon or Magic the Gathering cards. I thought that was really clever.
0: Yeah. Eight cards per pack, 20 packs per box.
1: Okay, 20 packs. So
0: it's 20 packs. So basically, you're looking at one of the foil boards and four, probably about four mascot gaming cards
1: okay that might be a fun insert set to put together
0: yeah and depending on how they're collated i'm sure they'll be available in EPAC. i would Mm -hmm. assume yeah so and i know that if i buy
1: if i buy four boxes of mvp i'm gonna end up getting um the blue jackets mascot what what the hell we did a mascot show stinger stinger that was it yeah yeah I've already forgotten. I've already deleted his name from my memory because because I, I dislike him so much. Yeah, Stinger. I'd I'd get like three Stingers. I could just see it now. I'd get Stinger, 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 and then then probably get Thunderbug because that would just be funny. And then um, maybe I'd get like Bailey. But you know, as far as like the ones that I'd want to get, Iceberg or Gritty or Sharky. i I'd, I'd have. Probably less luck than I did trying to get Kirill Kaprizov last year, because I don't think I got a Kirill in anything that I bought, whether it was all those boxes of Skybox Metal Universe or all those boxes of Upper Deck Series 2. I got nil on the Kirill. I just have terrible luck.
0: Well, you might have better luck in this one. Here's the breakdown. I just looked it up. You'll get 10 high series or rookie SP short prints. Uh You'll get 20 base ice parallels, those Mm -hmm. ice battle ones. You'll get five puzzle backs, so those are back. You'll get one color and contour, four anniversary inserts, five mascot cards, and four either the before and after or the heart attack inserts. And they're including, as part of the collation one rare hit card.
1: One rare? I don't
0: recall mvp ever having a guaranteed hit card necessarily so i'm going to assume these might be those rookie redemption cards that are usually mm. in there um or i don't know maybe some other one of the other script cards in there like a superscript or
2: mm.
0: printing plate maybe mm. i don't know I don't know what it would be, but I guess that would be the hit. 50 bucks a box, though. I mean, we're not going to get 50 bucks a box anymore. This is probably the best we're going to do for this year because everything's going to come out at 80 beyond the MVP. Series 1, you know, it's pre-sell at 100 When it comes out, it's going to be 150 So this is your shot at getting, like, two boxes for 100 bucks.
1: The reason why I bought MVP last year was because I wanted open packs, and I was excited about hockey and and whatnot. I saw a bunch of blasters hanging at Target, and I bought them, and then ended up getting a box. I got a hobby box and maybe a couple blasters, and you know tried to piece together a set. and And I guess my my only problem with MVP is that all the best rookie cards in MVP are are going to be in upper deck series one. So. It almost seems like there's no real point. I mean, unless you just like having different sets. And I like having different sets. My problem is is that I end up with five sets and not completing one of them. So really what I've been just trying to do is to focus on two or three. So you have to make some tough choices. And MVP, I want to buy because it's the first set that comes out. Kind of like victory. I couldn't resist victory because victory was even, it was cheaper. It was like a buck a pack. And so that was easy for me to say, oh, okay, victory. Buck a pack, why not? Um,
0: Well, this is your first shot at getting rookies of, like, Jeremy Swayman. mm -hmm. uh, Cole Caulfield's in there. Quentin Mm -hmm. Byfield, Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Zegras. So, yes, they're not going to carry the same value as their young gun. But you might see some craziness on the secondary market once this hits.
1: This is true. Some initial
0: craziness, let's put it that way.
1: I saw craziness on Alexei Lafreniere non-Young Gun cards at the National. Anything I put out. Any low-end rookie card that I had, just sold. $5, $10 range, sold. Even at this most recent show that I did, I sold like one of his low-end rookie cards. So we're still seeing some of that craziness with certain players in the lower-tier sets. I'm probably going to put my money on the 21-22 Topps Hockey Sticker Album set, which is coming out December 22nd, because you know me, I like stickers. Not the Topps Now stickers, for reasons we explained in greater detail a couple shows ago, but I like the album stickers. I think the only shortcoming for the Topps Hockey Album stickers is that you can't buy the few stickers that you need directly from Topps to complete your album. You have to... Just keep buying packs or trade with others. Fortunately, I've been able to trade with others and get lots of the stickers that I needed to complete the last two sets. But for the most part, I like their sets. How Tops has been doing their hockey stickers. I'd say they're probably doing a, a slightly nicer job than what Panini had been doing for all those years. Um, so, I mean, if I'm going to buy something low end, that's probably going to be what I go go for.
0: You have all the 1920 Tops. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the 2021. Because I was perusing some sites, and I think it was Dave and Adams had, like, three boxes of the 1920 Top stickers for 50 bucks.
1: Okay, that's not bad.
0: And I think they were selling some of the older, like, the last couple of years of Panini, too, for pretty cheap.
1: Like, yeah, 18
0: and 17, the, I think.
1: That's the funny part about Panini stickers, or hockey stickers in general, is that they don't really hold their value like what I'm noticing now is that we're starting to see a little bit of an uptick in some of the panini hockey sticker sets now there's some that are just hard to find late 90s 96 97 97 98 are very hard sets to find because they were only sold in europe 98 99 was sold in Europe, but DA got a whole bunch of them and I bought them for like 5 bucks a box maybe about 10 years ago. But the album for 98 99 is impossible to find. And in like 99 2000 up to 0607. So 99 2000 0607, those were like European only releases or in Canada but in very limited quantities. And then Anything oh eight oh nine and up is easy to find.
0: So, yeah, I was going to say, because I just pulled it up here to make sure I was talking, not talking out of my butt. 59 bucks for the three boxes, but 18, 19 Panini, they yep. have a combo deal. You ready for this?
1: Oh, okay.
0: Two 30 box cases, two. Two. So, 60 boxes. Yep. Plus one 72 count album case. Okay. So, 60 boxes and 72 albums mm-hmm. for 150 bucks.
1: And that was what year? 1819. 18,
0: 1819. Yes. Yep. And you could open all 60 boxes and you still won't complete a set. <laughs> <laughs> not that know, I'm trying not... to deter anyone from buying it.
1: No. And you know what? It, it, as much as I want to say, oh, that sounds like a fun break, it really isn't. Because A, the collation is horrible. B, you're not going to really get any rookies. Because almost never do they do a player in his rookie year on a sticker. They did for Steven Stamkos, and they pictured him in a practice jersey because that was like the earliest photo they could get of him because they didn't have a game action photo. So they used a practice photo of Stamkos. But I remember that was kind of like a big deal, like, oh, okay, they included him in this set. Right? And then I think when Marion Hossa signed with the Blackhawks, I believe they also used like a training camp photo. But most of the time, it's like you'll get the rookie sticker of that player the year after they start. Like traditional hockey cards were in the 70s and 80s.
0: Well, now that I just flipped down the page here, if you're feeling more froggy than 150 bucks for two 30-box cases, perhaps you may be interested in an entire pallet.
2: Ugh.
0: 48 30-box cases. That's one thousand four hundred and forty sticker boxes for those that didn't want to do the math mm-hmm. one thousand four hundred and forty boxes stickers all delivered to your home on a pallet <laughs> uh, i could see the i could see the wheels turning you're like huh how can I work this out and have this delivered to my...
1: <laughs> you know, opening it's, packs of Panini Oh, it's 3500
0: bucks. I forgot to imagine. How that much? 3500
1: Yeah, that's a, lot of, that's a lot to spend on hockey stickers.
0: Um, considering it's a pallet,
1: yeah, I would say so. But I was going to say, like, opening that many packs of Panini hockey stickers is like shelling peanuts. And I, I say this based on my experience when I bought, like... Five hundred packs of ninety five ninety six stickers. Remember, like sometimes you'd go to like the toy store and it'd have like an album and it came with ten packs of stickers and it'd be yeah. polybagged. It was that. I bought basically, I bought like fifty I bought a few more. I bought like fifty one or fifty two or fifty five or some some odd number. We'll just say fifty books that each had 10 packs of stickers. So I ended up with 50 sticker albums, 500 sticker packets. And so that was like 3000 stickers. And the sets were like 330 stickers that year, or no, 306, it was a pretty small set. And I think that out of 3000 stickers, I think I only completed three sets. Yeah, I got something ridiculous, like 14 Chris Chelio stickers. And then I remember getting like three Ian Perrier stickers. So like I needed like Ian Laparriere, and I'd keep opening packs and not finding him. And I'd be like, damn, I just need one more Laparriere, and then I'll have another complete set. Like the collation is just terrible and it never got better. I mean, you collected with your boys. Wasn't the collation terrible in the mid 2010s?
0: Oh, yeah yeah it was not i mean it's i never remember it being that way i mean even going back to the 80s when i actually partook in panini stickers Mm -hmm. i mean duplicates were enormous you know lou francis getty was i had like hundreds of him
1: yeah it's funny how we just we get haunted by the the cards that we get so many multiples of or the ones that we we never seem to get. I remember like ninety or eighty nine ninety. I want to say I got a lot of Steve Tuttle that year, the the blues player. Yeah. Yeah, I got a lot a lot of Steve Tuttles and a lot of um, Brian Noonans of the Blackhawks. But I'm I'm gonna collect them, and I'm I'll probably end up buying about four boxes because that'll give me a thousand stickers. It's like six hundred seventy five stickers this year, I think. You know, of course I'm probably going to end up still needing about 275 I'm probably going to end up with like or maybe I'll need like maybe I'll only need like less than 200 doubles who knows but it gives me a lot of ammunition to trade with others because I can't buy them so I you know I can't buy the singles so I got to just trade with others you know and if that's the thing like you're gonna have to buy at least three boxes to make a set or to have you know to make a set or to have enough singles to trade with people to make a set. So it's an expensive proposition. I mean you really have to want to build a top sticker set. Absolutely. So what else is coming out? We got Clear Cut and Premiere on the twenty ninth.
0: That's what's on the list.
1: Anything you want to say about either of those?
0: Well I don't know if you ever bought Clearcut. It's Isn't one like card.
1: One card per yeah. pack per box yeah, one
0: card in a box and it's pass. It's slab, not I don't want to say not slab like graded necessarily but it's uh already in a case and it's something that's clear cut whether it's uh, a young gun card or like a young gun canvas or Mm -hmm. you know some something else that it'll be you know that particular card and usually they're something that's low either low numbered or maybe an autograph or or something of that nature. Last year clear cut was it was it was high at first but you can find those boxes now for about 150 bucks but again it's it's kind of one of those boomer bust things for 150 bucks you get one card. You better hope it's something good.
1: I don't know, is Mark Perry still playing? No. Cuz that's that's who I get.
0: No, he is not.
1: Okay, just just making sure. because He's on he, a
0: broadcast team somewhere.
1: Oh, So I'll, I'll get some voices of the game card with him on it. Maybe. It's possible. Strong possibility. Um, Com C, getting caught up. I forgot to mention a couple weeks ago, I actually got my order. It didn't take until January 6th. I think I asked for it to be shipped in October. And I got it uh, about six weeks later. So I got it, like, mid-November, which was nice. I mean, it's nice to get the cards that I paid for and that I overpaid for shipping on. And, I mean, okay, great. You know what? I got the cards. Everything was in my order that was supposed to be in my order so they didn't screw up. It took me a lot of time to pull all those little receipts out of the penny sleeves, but whatever. You know, I mean... I'm gonna look at the card anyway, so I guess it's not that big of a deal. But that was actually like a 10-minute chore for me to do like pull it out, take the little receipt receipt out, set it aside, or throw it out, or whatever.
0: So here's a funny exercise in futility. Okay. I like to go through here. Sure. I'm going to recite my last five Com C shipments. Okay. All right. So we're going to go back a little bit here. So 616 of 18. So June 16th, 2018, I requested a shipment. It was shipped on 621. So five days later, it was sent out. Uh, that order had about 500 cards in it. 1127 of 18. So November 27th, 2018. Shipped on 12.5, 2018. So about a week and it shipped. That order had about 400 cards in it. 10.8 of 19. So now we fast forward a year. 10.8 of 19 shipped 10 15 of 19. So again, short amount of time. All right. So now we hit COVID, the shutdown. I had stuff sitting and sitting and sitting. And I finally said, you know what? I'm going to order this. So November 11th of 2020, I decided to put my order in. May 11th of 2021 is when it shipped. So. Wow. December, January, February, March, April, May. Six months to the day it took to actually ship. Now. My last order, as if I wasn't a glutton for punishment enough. The last order I did in July, July 19th of 2021. That shipped October 11th. Mm. So almost to the day, but ordered in July. So you got August, September, October. So three months. So essentially cut in half, right? From what it was. Previously, now, and I got the email that everybody gets from—is it Julia—and mm-hmm. um, talking about how they've they've gotten caught up and this, that, and the other. So I've got quite a bit sitting in my current account, but if I wipe everything that's EPAC, I have about three hundred cards. Mm-hmm. If I was to place the order right now, economy shipping, it shows January 13th. So about a month. So essentially a month. So I would say that's uh, from six months to three months to one month, at least in my scenario here. That's... uh, it's pretty good. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty hard on these guys for quite a while for various reasons. So me paying a compliment, I know. Hell must have froze over, but I'm doing it.
1: Well, they deserve your compliment, but they also deserve your criticism.
0: Oh well, I, I would have to say that, you know, if they're not all the way caught up, they're definitely getting close. If, if they can roll out on here that you got about a month turnaround time. And like you said, yours was a couple months out and you got your order. So
1: So. I actually looked up the dates really quick. So I requested shipment on September 26th and the estimated time of arrival was January 3rd. And that was for economy shipping. So I spent $17.49 on economy shipping to ship 92 cards. Which I think is atrocious to spend eighteen dollars on what you and I both know will fit in a priority flat rate bubble envelope for eight dollars. But wait, whatever.
0: your economy was eighteen.
1: Yeah, well I had some EPAC cards in there, and I guess uh, they charge order per EPAC card.
0: Yeah, the EPAC cards are run and processed separately. That's why I always remove the EPAC cards from my order. Yep. And I move them over into my account. Because mm-hmm. at some point or another, I'm going to find one that's not an EPAC, and then I'll turn around and just sell the one that is.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. That's
0: my that's my theory in my head.
1: So I spent 17, $17.49 to ship ninety two cards via economy shipping, and my my other options were either sixty two ninety nine or one hundred and forty dollars and ninety nine cents.
2: Okay, so that a racket.
1: Yeah, that was a racket. So I spent eighteen bucks. They were supposed to arrive January 3rd. They actually came to me November, I'm going to just say 17th. I forget the exact date, but I remember it was right before the Chicago Sports Spectacular and saying to myself, oh, cool. If I had cards that I was going to try to sell at the Spectacular, if I knew I was going to get them before this show, I would have added a few more cards to my cart and then had them shipped to me with that order so that I could sell them at the show because I had a few sets that I wanted to finish so that I could bring to the show with me, whatever. Right, anyway, so, yeah, so they came in about seven weeks, seven and a half weeks, and not however long it is from, you know, all of October, all of November, all of December, 12 weeks. So they were looking at almost like 13 weeks, and it took them about seven and a half weeks. So, That's yeah, they. I was surprised. I could I mean, get
0: all mine by Saturday, according to this. Nice For for a buck a card.
1: Oh, not nice.
0: So $300 shipping.
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: If I want them by Saturday.
1: Do you want them by Saturday?
0: Absolutely not. No. I mean, I don't want them now. I'm not ordering them. I'm not cashing them out. I usually don't cash out an order until I have... Well, it used to be like 300 cards, and now it's not even worth it because of the mm-hmm. delay. I just wait, let it go to 500 or more. The mm-hmm. last that big order I cashed out last November had over a thousand in it. Mm-hmm. So, which is fine. It's filled with EPAC transfers and stuff that I buy that I'm trying to like piece together sets and things that I can't find common cards elsewhere. So,
1: I didn't even participate in their Black Friday or Cyber Monday sales because I just wasn't one I just didn't really have the ambition to sit on their site and figure out what cards that I needed like I have my want lists and stuff but I just I just didn't want to deal with like it it almost felt like a hassle I mean usually what I would do is I would get my cards shipped to me two times a year Usually once in the...
0: That's how I used to be.
1: Yeah, twice a year. And I'd always like fill up around like the Black Friday sale and the spring cleaning sale. And I'd like buy a bunch of cards. I mean, I'm still trying to build 2016-17 compendium. I I mean, I know that's, that's like four or five years old now. And I only need about 30 cards and I'll have the full 900 card set. I mean, that's been like a project of mine. And most of the cards I've picked up for like 27 cents. Yes, I've paid more for Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and certain rookie cards. Uh, well, actually, um, uh, Matthews was the key rookie card in sixteen seventeen. Right. But then the rest of them I'd pay like 27 cents for. But then there'd be like certain guys that would be like $2 because nobody bothered to combine the digital cards to make the blue cards. For those of you who don't know, Upper Deck Compendium was an EPAC-only set. You would get eight digital cards I believe it was for 99 cents and then if you got 10 copies of the same card you can combine them into a blue parallel and then that was a physical card that could get mailed to you so it would cost you about a dollar to make a card like to create a card by trading with other people and then combining the cards and yet I'd be buying them for like 30 cents each most of them
0: it's definitely work to to be diligent about doing that stuff on EPAC. It's work.
1: Oh, and I have a spreadsheet. It takes effort. And I would like uh, part of me like I, I would I would mark on the spreadsheet what I was buying so I make sure that I didn't buy it again. But unfortunately, there are a few a handful of cards that I just accidentally bought twice. And then you know I'd also kind of just keep track of the the price because I kind of had an idea. I'll I'll definitely blog about this when I complete the set. But I I had a goal in mind like. I'm going to build the set and I'm not going to spend more than X amount of dollars. And, you know, sometimes I'd look and I'd see all the cards that I needed were like 40 cents. And then, you know, three months later I'd go back and then they'd be down to like, you know, 28 cents. And then that's when I would like buy them. So the, the
0: Matthews is in series three on that, right?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I think, I think. I, I can't remember only because Series 3 has a lot of rookies in it, and not a lot of people built Series 3, so even like some of the common cards are more expensive than, like, Series 1 and Series 2, I felt like most of the cards I was able to get for like $0.26, 27 $0.28 cents each.
0: Well, for those that would like to uh, jump into the compendium chase, you can still buy Series 1 and 2 on EPAC. They're still available, if you can believe that. Series 3 isn't. They pulled those off. But 1 and 2 you can still get for 99 cents a pack.
1: Hmm.
0: Which is probably because surprising. they're sold out of them. Probably. But I mean 99 cents a pack. A box is 23 bucks. Heck, you can buy a case of either of them for like 270.
2: Mhm.
0: So, and obviously it's not a real case. It's a digital case, but they're all the packs you could open and you have plenty that you can meld and change and upgrade and everything else and have sent to you. But that's the nice thing about EPAC that, that I like is the fact that if you want to know what's in the stuff, they have product checklists and all of that kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you can just go to the checklist. And the cool thing is when you collect it, it marks it off automatically on your checklist if it's in your collection. Mm-hmm. So like if you have the card and it's there, it's already it's checked off and you don't have to worry about it so it's easy if you're gonna take that and print it out and and go from there like you said you have checklists for all these you know what you're buying you know what what you're missing and all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean it's chasing that it's easy to find because that's where everything gets dumped onto comp for those types of things i actually did hit up the cyber monday picked up a bunch of stuff for my new double secret probation collection that i'm putting together Uh uh-oh I'm not telling anybody about it. I mm. will reveal it to the world at one point. Just now is not the time. He's collecting flyers. Oh my God. Who said that? <laughs> no. It's, uh, trust me, it's not flyers. But it's something that's interesting. And it's actually something that I'm pretty sure I went on record on this show before saying I would never <laughs> collect
1: Oh, now I now I need to know.
0: Yeah, well, we're not going to know yet. I will reveal it at a later date.
1: Maybe it's golf cards. It might be. Mm.
0: There are plenty of those on EPAC. In fact, they just came out with the uh, SP Game Use Golf for a grand total of 249 bucks a pack. Wow. So you get one auto and two memorabilia cards.
1: Wow. And That's actually...
0: Pretty three cool. base cards i think or no two base cards for 250 bucks
1: well, people who like golf have money
0: uh well i think that's what upper deck is banking on
1: so <laughs> obviously let's talk about psa buying card ladder why don't you explain to me again what card ladder is and then about this whole deal and and uh, what you think about it
0: so so card ladder for people that don't know this was a way that you could track your collection and see pricing meaning sales data pricing um, for the cards that they track and most of what they track are slabs i think all of what they track are, are slabs and they would they would pull pricing for psa bgs sgc from a variety of sources i think they advertised they had 15 different pricing sources which obviously included ebay as well as mice um, labs but essentially they had their app and you could get on your app and you could you know pull up your information your data and it's supposed to be like the most up-to-date sales data from all the different marketplaces and it pulled from beckett marketplace supposedly i don't know how it did but it also pulled from a lot of the auctions as well so you would get golden auction sales, you'd get heritage auction sales, you'd get uh, Leland's, and it also had this as hmm. another one of its things. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they took criticism for using certain sources for things over the time. And, you know, I'm not going to get into all of that portion of it, but I mean, essentially it's data. And what are people looking for more than anything else is data we've talked on here ad nauseum about. Somebody walks up to your table, oh, you know, 50 bucks for that. Oh, what's the lowest you can take? Cause I got comps, see, here's my phone. And it's just like, that's what this world has become. So, and you know, their whole marketing plan there with everything was, you know, taking all of the, I guess guesswork and search portion of finding what your cards were worth. Mm -hmm. and throwing the sales all together in one location. Obviously, it's not free. Um, They would charge you, I think it was like 15 bucks a month, something Mm -hmm. like that, was what their rate was. So now, Collector's Universe, who, as we all know, is the proud owner of PSA, Mm -hmm. has acquired Card Ladder. Don't think they released how much they paid for them, but... Now, Collectors Universe owns a company that is steeped in the industry of sales and pricing data mining. Hmm. So, how, my friends, how do you, as a vested interest in a grading company, then market a product that is supposed to be an arbitrary database for all grading companies and all sales marketing locations when you have the vested interest in one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the listeners can't answer and they might be screaming at their radio right now. The answer is you can't. Okay, maybe. Or what do they do? Do they turn around and say okay, we're going to make sure that we are the utmost integrity and we do this and that and try to keep this completely separate. And just, this is another branch of our company and we're going to keep everything separate and make sure we maintain all of the same you know, quality of the sales data that's out there rather than focusing on just PSA. I don't know.
1: They're going to buy it and they're going to kill it.
0: Well, and that's the thing. The question There's- is going to come up. Or like you just, and I'm glad you said that.
1: Because that's what these companies do. That's what the app companies do. They say, this is competing with us. You know, look at Facebook. Facebook bought Instagram, right? Because Instagram was competing with Facebook. And it had a lot of the younger demographic that didn't like Facebook. They just wanted to take pictures and talk about pictures. and, And so then they bought that. And that just became one of their brands. And you have that with a lot of these things. And so if I was PSA, if I owned PSA and I wanted PSA to continue having market dominance, I wouldn't want people to see what the other graded cards were selling for. I would not want that information to be easy. I think if you're serious about buying and selling graded cards, you would want to have an app where you could say, oh, okay, here's this Alex Ovechkin card that's graded BGS 9.5 and it's sold for this much. And here's an Alex Ovechkin young gun card that's a PSA nine and it's sold for this much. And here's one that's graded a KSA 10 and it's sold for this much or whatever. Right. And I don't know what you think about this. I think there's going to be a huge shift over to Beckett grading, becoming the leader because Beckett is less expensive and i mean i got some cards graded i'll talk about that at a future show and one card would have cost me 600 dollars to grade with psa and it cost me 150 to grade with beckett and i went with beckett because i said you know what i want to have it slabbed so it's protected and it's a numbered card so there's only a finite amount of them available and it's maybe not even the nicest version of the card because it was a little bit condition sensitive. It was a newer card from like the past five years. And so I think a lot of people are just saying, screw it, I just want it graded. And okay, maybe I won't make $8,000 if this card is a PSA 9. Maybe I'll only make $7,000 if it's a BGS 9, right? But that's okay, because I'm not spending $600 to get it graded. So I feel like there's going to be More people sending their stuff to Beckett, which means that there's going to be more stuff that's graded Beckett, which maybe that becomes the more common grading company for cards. So now, if I own PSA, I'd want to make it as hard as possible for people to look up the prices of what my competitors' graded cards are selling for. So, yeah, I'd buy it and I'd either strip out the data on all the other ones or I would just delete it.
0: Yeah, and I kind of see what I—I I see what you're saying there. It's not that they were going after the app because they wanted wanted it or the program; they wanted the technology behind it so that they can either, you know, take it themselves so nobody else has it, like you said, or you know, do something else with it mm-hmm. that's not going to be detrimental to their already competing business model that fits within that category. I know um, one of the guys from, and not that not that I make it my business to promote other pods on here, but one of the guys from Card Ladder is supposed to be on about the cards soon. I don't know if it's the next show or the one after that. All right. So it'll be interesting to hear. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of information tossed well, around about that. We can, about we can that.
1: promote about the cards. They're our friends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. We like them. They yeah. like us. We've been give, on their show. I'll give them a
0: plug you know, once in a while. They don't
1: know hockey, so we don't have them on our show. We need to have like a nice like generic sport card collecting topic so we can have Ben and company on the show to, to talk.
0: Speaking of which, and again, not to promote, but if you haven't listened to their last show when they had the uh, president of Upper Deck on, mm-hmm. it, was good, it was a good show. Hmm. He is definitely a very open book when it comes to answering questions and getting to the crux of people's gripes about why things are the way they are and what they're doing to fix them, Mm -hmm. as opposed to other companies out there that hide behind things and Mm -hmm. aren't as forthcoming, I guess, would be Mm -hmm. the easiest way i can explain that i mean i'll say that i mean i listened to the show and and uh they did a lot of questions they threw a lot of stuff at them uh and jason basically for the most part knocked them out of the park and here's the other thing too you expect like the president of a company and i know we've talked to chris before we've talked to guys from upper deck a bunch mm-hmm. of times about different things and they're always honest about stuff and mm-hmm. they never really hide things and if they can tell us about it they'll tell us Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's and that's a great thing and i thought it was cool that you know usually when they have guests on you know they the guests are on for a while and then sometimes they leave and they do the rest of the show jason mm-hmm. stayed on the whole time mm-hmm. he was there the, the whole time on the show and he answered questions throughout and like i said i i thought it was really good you know those of us that are mostly into hockey should take interest in most of the things that upper deck does because that's our bread and butter right there right i mean yeah you have some other choices you have top stickers out there you got president's choice that still makes cards you got leaf that dabbles in in hockey as well but most of everything that's going to be coming out for at least the next few years is going to be upper deck related so it's definitely worthwhile to take an interest in, in what they're doing as a company, especially mm-hmm. with the changing landscape of trading cards, the way it's heading with Topps not having the license for baseball anymore and Panini not having football or basketball any longer and Fanatics coming in in a few years. It's going to be different. It's definitely going to be different. And you know, so far, hockey's come out unscathed, but we don't know what the future holds And You know, being able to have people that represent these companies and and can talk freely about what it is they do, what it is they're providing and, you know, take the questions from the from the collectors. I think it's great. And the more more opportunities that that these guys have to come on shows and, and they're always more than willing to do it if they can fit it in their schedule, which I think is really cool. And I, and I, like I said, we're hockey based. So anytime like a hockey guy goes on another show, it's like, man, why didn't we get him on our show? But you know, I understand it and I, but I, and I get the whole thing, but it's like, it's a different interview. I think when we talk with the folks involved with producing hockey products, than when you listen to the ones for the other sports, I, I really think it is.
1: Well, we're closer to hockey, so we're going to ask maybe more specific questions, and people who are not as much into hockey are going to ask different types of questions.
0: Well, it's not, and that's the thing, it's not even, not even really that, because, like, Jason on that show from Upper Deck, you know, going on about the cards. I mean, those guys will admit, they're not hockey guys. Right. I mean, Steph is a little bit, but, you know, Ben's not, for sure. right? And, uh. You know, Tim was actually on that show too. He mm-hmm. he jumped back on as well. So uh, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a let's promote about the card show, but I thought it was really interesting. And it went with the topic that we're talking about kind of as a segue to, you know, card ladder being bought by PSA and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, sorry, enough about that. Only listen to Puck Chunk. This no, is I... the podcast you're looking for.
1: <laughs> all right, sports card investor and the backlash about,
0: oh, uh, about sports we even card talk about this.
1: <laughs> you brought it up, you brought it up.
0: I brought it up before because you were saying some funny stuff about investing in, in things and it really is
1: Well, because of, because of sports silly. card investor, you told me about what they, so let me see if I have this straight. Let me see, correct me if I'm wrong. Sports card investor was offering sports card advice But then that got considered to be investment advice, which needs to fall under scrutiny. So then they basically paywalled it and then said they were just having a conversation about cards with people who would pay to come to these informative online sessions. Do I I have that right so far?
0: Jeff will attest to the fact that he... Does not charge for his investment advice. In okay. It's a Patreon account that if you sign up for and you donate to him, you get access to something. I don't know mm-hmm. what that is because I would never do such a thing. Mm-hmm. But the crux of this started when a fake account. Uh, yeah, I what not even call it a fake account. It was called Sports Card Investor Fraud Ooh. on Instagram popped up and basically mm-hmm. started posting all of the ridiculous stuff that was being touted on sports card investor by the uh, the host of the show and the owner mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I mean it boiled down to this. It was like a back and forth kind of thing. These were going on for a while. like everything they were going back through a lot of his videos about that he would do like, invest in this guy. you know, you really got to invest in this guy. and they were exposing it as, you know, pump and dump kind of things and mm-hmm. how he only talks about making money and he never talks about the money he lost because if you go back and look at where the market went for some of the guys that he said really put a lot of money into I mean he lost a ton of money too which came out that he did talk about that at some point in one of the shows and this was just a back and forth thing and then it spilled over into Twitter mm-hmm. and of course you know the toxic environment that is Twitter everybody just just went off on on this whole thing. And of course you had a few of his apologists jumping in and he even jumped in on, on some of the conversations, but I mean, it boiled down to, I guess that, that other Instagram account got banned somehow or shut Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was threatening to sue them, I guess at, at one point from the, let's look at the train wreck crowd. It was very entertaining uh, for a while. But it goes to the bigger argument of here's somebody that came around during the hype or shortly before it and jumped into what they felt was something that they could exploit for a couple bucks and is really good at making videos and editing them Mm -hmm. and turning them into the only thing that my kids watch anymore. And probably anybody under the age of 30. And that's what I call TikTok media news content. Mm -hmm. You know, flashy YouTube videos, real short, quick Instagram things. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not up on this. I don't know what the terms are, you know, doing TikToks and stuff or whatever. Yeah, so
1: basically short videos that are very flashy and slick and, and like almost overproduced yeah
0: and that that's the thing, and that's that's fine if if you're that, but you know those of us in that that take the hobby somewhat seriously and understand that there's a whole group of snake oil salesmen out there mm-hmm. that are always preying on the uninformed. Mm-hmm. This was the perfect opportunity to jump in because you had so many new people involved in the hobby all at once. That really didn't have any direction and just were doing what they thus thought was the right thing and what everybody else around them was doing. So, you know, if you read into like some of the research that was done on this, we'll say faux SCI account,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it, it's it's just one of those one of those things that there's going to be people that that are going to fall for it. And here's the thing, and you know, we're not coming up with this this isn't something new this isn't something that's been told time and time again by other collectors out there and other hobby people that that put out content don't pay for something that you can get for free i repeat don't pay for information and advice that you can get for free there isn't a bit of information that most of these investor type um, broadcasters and content creators do for sports cards that isn't readily available when you type in your little google machine whatever you're trying to find Mm -hmm. there's plenty of information out there you know i'm not an expert by any means but anybody can reach out to me and be like hey what's your opinion on this i'll give you my opinion free of charge and that was what brought this up was you started your your little rant on Twitter about
1: okay, so, starting
0: your sports card investor.
1: So basically what I was doing was I was uh I was shit posting as they call it, where I just said, Hey, I'll give you free sports card advice. Just leave the name of a player or a team and I'll tell you who to invest in. And I'd say about 75, 80% of the people were in on the joke and having fun with it. And the other were like, "Oh, that's who you want me to invest in," and it was just like, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, dude. You know, I want to, I want to tell a quick story about going, going back to the early '90s when I was working in a comic book store. And one thing that really made comic books popular in the early '90s was the death of Superman. I keep bringing this up because I was working at the comic book store at the time, and it was just crazy. And then all of a sudden, everybody got into comic books, like. Comic books was a pretty popular hobby in the 80s and 90s, and it was popular for other reasons. You had, like, all these new artists like Todd McFarlane, who, you know, later started McFarlane Toys, which made the sports pick, hockey and baseball and football and basketball figures that we all, you know, loved for, you know, 10 or 15 years. But you had, like, all these popular artists. You had these new comic companies cropping up overnight, but then you had the Death of Superman comic, which brought people out of the woodwork. Like people who hadn't bought a comic book in 20 years came to the comic shop that night to buy the Death of Superman. Now, what happened was, was all of a sudden that comic book spiked to a lot of money. And then you had people, they would buy a stack of reprints and they'd be selling them out on the street. And I I had a good number of people would come into the shop that I used to uh, work at. They'd come up to me and they'd say, you know, I haven't bought a comic book in years, but I bought this Death of Superman comic book. And can you tell me if it's authentic? And I'd look at it and I'd say, Well, it's authentic, but it's a fourth printing. You could tell by this, you know, and then I'd show them what to look for. And I'd say, This is what the first print looks like, this is what the fourth print looks like. And they'd be like, Oh, oh, and I'm like, Well, what did you pay for it? They're like, Well, I paid twenty dollars. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You should not have paid more than a dollar twenty-five for that because it's the first print that's going for $50, not the fourth print or the fifth print or the third print or whatever reprint, right? So you had people basically saying, hey, everyone's interested in this thing all of a sudden, and I'm interested in it to make money, but I'm not going to make money the legit way. I'm going to make money by preying on people who don't know anything about this and are either... Gullible or lazy. Now, I don't think the comic book collectors were so much lazier. I don't want to say collectors, but people who bought, like, a reprint comic were, were lazy. They wanted to have the thing, and they didn't know that it wasn't the thing that they were supposed to buy or that they, that they thought were buying. But I think with card collecting, you know, it's easier to say, I don't want to figure out what the hot basketball players are. I, I just want to know who they are. Like, Tim, I've I've leaned on you before. Remember, like, a year ago, I was like, hey, who are the good football players this year, right? Because I, I I don't know shit about football, right? I mean, And, and, and then you were telling me all these names, and then I, I started to learn them. But, like, I had to ask. Like, I was maybe a little too lazy to, like, go to NFL.com and see who was drafted in the first 10 picks and then say, oh, he's a quarterback. And he's going to be maybe good because now I'm going to look at his college stats and status work.
0: It's the old tell me you don't know about football by asking Tim about football. (laughs) Because that's kind of what that is. But, yeah, I mean, I I understand your point. But, again, what did you pay me for that knowledge? Nothing. Because I freely give it to you. And I'll tell you, this is what I think. There you go. Right. And, you know, people, you giving out the advice to comic collectors. Hey, dude, I don't know if I would have done that. You know, it's here's some free advice, right? There's free well, advice everywhere. It's all over that, the internet.
1: It's on puckjunk.com. You go to my site. I mean, I tell you, you know, here are the top cards from 1990. Here's the sets from whatever year, ranked from best to worst, or whatever. Like, I, I love talking about this stuff. You know, I'm not. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a stack. I mean, even though I do sell cards at shows, I don't have a stack of cards that I'm going to tell you are great. I'm not going to spend my podcast telling you. You all need to buy a '91, '92 Dominic Hasich upper deck rookie card. I'm not just so, so then you. you
0: can turn around and go and sell all of your Hasich rookie cards,
1: right? Through a shell company, right? That's yeah. how you do it, right? I mean, it's no, the, it's the whole pump and dump scheme,
0: which right. he was being accused of, as in one of the accusa- many accusations that was thrown in his face.
1: Well, but what's his business model then? If if it's not to sell cards, what like? Jump doesn't really have a business model. I do this for fun. I do this podcast for fun. I do my blog for fun. I sell cards at shows to make money, but honestly, I do it for fun because it's a lot of work to make that money. It's not, like I said, it's not just a work at the show. It's before the show, it's after the show, and it's the days leading up to the show. It's it's work. I do get sports card investors Uh, mailing list. I'm on their email list and I do read their articles from time to time. I don't really watch the videos because I don't got time for that, but I go back to questioning how are they making money?
0: Well, and again, it boils down to. I mean, I don't know what he does on the side other than buying and selling cards from his standpoint, but I know that he's got his little market movers is that what it's called okay his his thing that you have to purchase you know and he claims that he doesn't charge for investment advice and it is what it is but he does charge and it's part of this market movers program which in order to get access to it which is buy and sell card advice i mean it's part of the package of of buying you know buying into it but you know back to the original point about this whole thing
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: it was just this constant back and forth and he you know threatened to sue and now you can see any of the links if you can find these conversations out there on social media any of the links to the instagram pages are all gone because they show that the pages don't exist anymore really um, yeah and the thing is if you've be- if you've built yourself up as a brand good for you great because that's what people want to be. They want to be a brand Mm -hmm. Um, and they want to be recognized as a brand. And what Jeff has done is he's created a brand for himself. And now when you see all of these different events and things, they bring him on as a, as a so-called expert all the time. You know, he was on the main stage at the national, Hmm. you know, doing stuff for on various days, he's at that weird summit meeting, whatever the heck it is that we talked about in our last show.
1: $999 uh, event.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's one of the main guys there. And the thing is, somebody posts something about you. When you get that big, people are going to come after you. They're, they're just going to. And I'm not defending him or anything. But you got to be willing to step up and responding to criticisms and things like that. And you got to be willing to let things roll off your back because you're mm-hmm. going to have a target on it. If mm-hmm. you're high profile, you're going to have a target and somebody's going to want to knock you down. But Mm -hmm. to threaten to sue sue people and to accuse them of like printing lies and talking about you and saying things that aren't true and everything else. I I don't recall in any of the conversations with anyone that he ever defended or showed that any of the things that were being told about him were flat out lies.
1: He just threatened to sue and that was it.
0: I don't know what went on between him and whoever the person was that was running that other account. Right. Specifically, but this is the things he was responding to publicly and, in, in, you know, out there. And, you know, the whole situation is just, it raises a lot of questions about the overall integrity of the people involved when these things come up. You know, it's, this, it's the same thing with the shill bidding that went mm-hmm. on uh, on eBay with those auction companies when they don't come to their defense and their own defense and say you know none of this is true and here's why a b c d and you hide behind whatever it is you're hiding behind let's be honest the initial impression is you're guilty
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and people like this are not what's the word i I don't want to say popular because they are popular but they're popular amongst certain certain arenas of people and that's fine you know, you can like their content and everything else. But again, I go back to my point. Just be careful because the stuff that they're giving you and the information that they're putting out there is really no different than what you can find on your own for free with just doing a little bit of research. And I don't know the guy. I don't I don't know him personally. I don't know his integrity. I don't know anything about him. I've never even talked to the guy before. All I know is what i've seen and what i've read and Mm -hmm. i have watched his videos before i have looked at some of the stuff he says a lot of it blows my mind that people buy into some of this malarkey to use an old person term Mm -hmm. Um, but i mean you know it is i guess it is what it is you know he puts out these videos he gets lots of people to to watch he gets lots of clicks he gets Whatever he's aiming to do, he's obviously doing it because he hasn't disappeared into the ether. He's still around. He's still maintaining his relevancy Mm
2: -hmm.
0: going forward in 2021, almost 2022, when we've all seen in the last probably six months, cards have taken, I don't want to say they've taken a nosedive, but stuff that was being bought for a heck of a lot more money 10 months ago is way down from where it was. And that, that was where this whole thing came up in the first place was him talking about, you know, invest in this, invest in that. And people went back and looked at individual videos he was showing of cards that he was putting all of his money in supposedly, and they were pulling serial numbers and everything off of the graded cards, Mm -hmm. pulling them out of the registry and finding out actually when they were bought and sold to see where his transactions fell
2: Mm -hmm. and what he
0: really paid for these cards and kind of doing the math to go forward and being like, okay, here's the last one that sold. You were saying to put this, you know, all this money into them and, you know, this card's down 400 bucks. This one's down 1500, this one's down 1300, this one's Mm -hmm. down 2000, you know, from when you were buying it. So, you know, you have essentially $200,000 in losses you don't mention that to anybody and that was kind of what he was being called on the table for and you know his response was oh no i did mention it it's i have a video here and a video there look i i don't want him coming after us and trying to sue us because like i said i don't know the guy i'm merely reporting what we were reading online and like i said Mm -hmm. it was entertaining for the for the train wreck looky loose and then when you jumped in with your Give me the name of a player or a team, and I'll tell you who to invest in. And you started throwing out, like, all these one-and-done players and scrub players. And hey, crazy, Eric
1: Lindros was, crazy crazy. Yes, I was no straw. Flyer, no flyer. Was...
0: But the cards that you said to fill a 500-count box and sit on it for 50 years, that was funny.
1: Yeah, I try. So I try, yeah. So, anyway. I'm going to pin that tweet to the top of my at Puck Junk Twitter account. So if you feel like uh, some uh, investment advice on what cards, not just hockey, any sports, just uh, reply to that tweet. Let me know what sports or players you like. And then I will, you know, use my proprietary 20 step process to determine which cards have the most uh, investment upside potential for you to invest in, and I won't be selling you these cards. I'll just be telling you about these cards. So, uh, and it's all just for fun. I'm just being silly. It's gotta be fun. I gotta have fun. I mean, come on. dude. you remember when I used to do card of the week? I still gotta do the, um, and card of the week. A lot of times it's just a terrible card and actually I gotta I gotta update the bad hockey card Hall of Fame for 2021. That's going to become I gotta get that out before the end of the month. So. I need some train wreck cards to um, to put up for that. Can only induct a, Brian Pitt in one time, you know. You
0: should put a call out to our listeners to uh, throw out some suggestions.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let me know your bad hockey cards that should make the cut. And if they don't get in class of 2021, I'll definitely consider them for 2122. I think this is the year. I think Cameron Mann's 9798 black. Diamond actually has a legit chance of making it this year. The one where he's smelling his hockey skate. Oh, nice. Yeah, look for that. That's going to be coming out soon.
0: Go back on Puck Junk and read the old articles. That way you don't throw something out there that's already been inducted.
1: Yeah, I'll be sure to link to that in the comments because then it'll just be easier for you to find. Let's talk about the flower. Flower power.
0: Flower power.
1: Mark andre Fleury gets his 5 Hundredth win, and he does it in style because not only was it his 500th win, it was his 69th career shutout. Wow, wasn't just a win; it was a shutout win. He is third all time, but he's the third to get 500 wins. Yep,
0: one of three.
1: And one he's of three. Still
0: going strong.
1: Yeah, I was I was a little worried that when Flurry joined the Blackhawks, that this was going to be like martin broder's stint with the uh, blues
0: yeah short and sweet yeah not just, even sweet short and not sweet
1: yeah short and forgettable yeah i could think of so many guys that played for the blackhawks when you go whoa they played for the blackhawks they were awesome and then they were like oh wait a minute but when they played for the blackhawks they weren't so awesome and i'm thinking of like theron flurry john tonelli Doug Gilmore. Gilmore was good. He just didn't. He didn't just stay with the team too long. Wendell Clark uh, was another uh, train wreck. Bobby Orr, probably the most famous example of, I can't believe that guy was a Blackhawk, and oh my lord, he didn't do well as a Blackhawk. Well, Orr did good as a Blackhawk, he just didn't do good for Orr, and he retired because he couldn't play to the standard that he wanted to play to. So I'm not disrespecting Bobby Orr in any way, shape, or form. He just had his own standard that he didn't feel that he was living up to when he retired. But I mean, you know, I was afraid. You know, as Mark Andre Fleury here, we're getting this great goaltender, and is he going to flourish with the Blackhawks, or is he going to? No just pun kinda, intended. Is that a pun?
0: You said he's going to flourish because he's Fleury.
1: Oh God, I didn't even didn't even make that connection.
0: Is he going to blossom as a good goalie?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's already blossomed. I mean, he's been in the league a long time. Like 17, 18 years now. It's um, yeah, just another joke about flower but, blossom. You know.
0: I get it. I'm glad Chicago has embraced him because he deserves that. I mean, guys coming off a Vezina win and everybody was questioning whether or not he was done, right? He was relegated to basically the second goalie in Vegas behind Robin Lehner, who had numerous issues and inconsistencies of playing, yet yep. somehow the coach relied on him to be the number one, and Fleury was, had to come in and do the mop-up. And he was still out there making outstanding saves and just keeping the team in it and doing what he had to stand on his head almost night in and night out. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody has their bad nights. But, you know, this guy required the fewest games to get to 500 career wins. Really? Less than Martin Brodeur, less than Patrick Law. Wow. Yeah, took him 901. It's nine hundred and one games to get to five hundred wins. Brodeur was nine hundred and eight, and Moa was nine thirty-three. Wow! So, just the fact that that he was able to get there as quick as he did is is outstanding. I wish it wouldn't have been for the Blackhawks, just personally myself, but you know it is what it is. Most people are going to remember Flurry. I'm going to say as a Penguin. I mean, if he required if he retired today. Most people will remember it was a penguin, and those that don't will probably remember him as a golden Knight as being the, the first player taken to the Knights that was yes. high profile and everything else. and
1: their first superstar.
0: Know, yeah, and what he meant to that city in the early stages of the team existing and you know all of the things that they went through in the beginning with the you know the shooting out there and everything else and what he meant to the city and the things that he does outside of the rank. More as flurry the the person rather than flurry the hockey player, you know, I think is even a bigger thing. Did you happen to read the uh, the article that his wife put out? I um, did not. You, you got to check that out.
1: Mm-hmm. She
0: put out a little um, like a letter, like an open letter to talk about her husband's accomplishment. It's really good to read. If you get a chance to read it, you got to see what's in there. It basically lays out everything about him. And his career and everything else and the, just the fact that you know here he is hitting this milestone of essentially getting there quicker than two of his idols growing up mm-hmm. it's just crazy to to be put into that category I, I couldn't even imagine that I couldn't imagine number one I can't imagine like nowadays they always you know are talking about these young players that come up and play in the NHL and you get in a game against a player like a Crosby or an Ovechkin or even now, you know, Patrick Kane and players like that. And there's young guys coming up and they're like, you know, who did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be Sidney Crosby. And here mm-hmm. I am on the other side of the ice facing him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Patrick Kane. I had posters of Patrick Kane on my wall. And it's like, here he's right here. <laughs> you know, he's he's here and you're playing against him now. And it, it's crazy to see that kind of stuff. And, you know, here's a guy that's, I don't know him personally, but having been a Penguins fan my whole life, he was our goalie forever.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I mean, he was flurry. That's it. There's not much to say other than he was our he was. Well, our let me goalie. ask
1: you, let me ask you this then, since you, you've, you know him so well. Does he always do that thing where after he lets in a goal, he skates to the corner and then skates oh, yeah. back to the net?
0: Yep, that's him
1: blowing off steam. That's yeah, I, but he, he does that a lot with the Blackhawks. And
0: yeah, so yeah. I, I'm just
1: wondering if this is like a recent thing or if this is like just something he's always done.
0: Now he's done that as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does it a lot now because well, they don't give <laughs> him they don't give him a whole lot of help in front.
1: Although no, that's don't. that's
0: gotten better. That's gotten better over the last month or so of the season. But it was rough there in the beginning. Um, I but yeah, think- that's one of his quirky things. Just just like he talks to he talks to the goalposts. Like when a puck goes off the post and then play moves to the other end, if there's an ISO cam on him, you'll see him like tapping the goal post or like rubbing it
1: mm. or
0: thanking the goal post
1: for making the save. Well, Patrick Watt wow used to talk to the goal post before the yeah. game.
0: Yeah. Goalies are weird. I mean, goalies just have like a quirkiness about them and they're a little different than some of the other players. But, you know, Fleury's definitely a gem. And I mean, he's a. Super nice guy when you hear him on interviews and everything else. And he's very humble. Like I said, with a lot of the work that he does outside the rink, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. Let's put it Mm -hmm. that way. Not once, not a, not a reporter. You know, sometimes they question his play and everything like that, which that's their job because that's what they do. But I never heard a reporter say, oh, he's rude. He, you know, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. Never heard an announcer talk about it. Never heard another player talk bad about him. Never heard any fans really talk bad about him. Mm -hmm. I mean, plenty of Pittsburgh fans, you know, complained about the way he would play sometimes. But at the same time, they would love him three nights in a row when he would win you know that's part of being a fan right
1: yeah you know for years I've been trying to get my hands on a Marc-Andre Fleury young gun and this is just going to make it impossible now for me to get one at a price that I I really can afford and I've actually been trying to get one since he started with the Golden Knights which is where I was like you know I don't have this young gun I, I should really rectify this And it always goes for more than just it's always just outside of, like, my comfort zone of what I want to pay for one. And now that he's hit the 500 win mark, it's going to just be even harder. And I think the other thing that makes it harder is that he's played on all, like, big market teams. Like, you know, the Penguins are a top-notch team. The Golden Knights were a top-notch team without even playing in a game. I mean, just like everybody was excited about them and just embraced them. And then Chicago, I mean, Chicago's had a lot of off-ice troubles this past year that we won't get into now. But, like, they're a top-notch team. I mean, I you know, what would have helped is if Flurry, like, got traded to the Islanders and then his rookie cards went down in value and then I could like pick one up for like a price. Like, like I remember like when Steven S- or not Steven Samkos, when um, John Tavares's rookie cards were kind of low because he played on the Islanders and I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm going to have to get around to buying his young gun one day because it's like an $80 card. Maybe I can find it for 70 because I'm cheap like most card collectors are. Then, you know, he goes to the Maple Leafs and it like doubles in value like almost overnight and actually let me just add one little one little aside to that i'm cheap when it comes to ebay stuff especially now that i gotta pay tax on everything on ebay i try not to be cheap at card shows if a dealer has something that i want and if i don't like the price i won't buy it or maybe i'll grab a few things and then just say can you cut me a little bit of a deal if I buy like these five things or whatever? Or sometimes I just don't say anything and see what they say. But as far as like eBay goes, I mean, the thing is, is that if it's too high, you just don't bid on it and that's it. And that's just kind of like what it's always been. And when you see Marc-Andre Fleury's rookie card going for like $500, it's like, okay, I'm out.
0: <laughs> $500 ungraded too.
1: Ungraded. Yeah. yeah. 500 600 ungraded. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, all right, this is where I bow out thank you but they'll thank you
0: and I can tell you there was a time a year year and a half ago maybe mm-hmm. that card was half of that if not
1: less but yeah it was like a $300 card that was the thing is that like it was a $300 card when he was with Vegas it's been kind of around there
0: he has plenty of other rookie cards yes out there but you know, obviously, if the, you're going after the coveted young gun, you're going to have to pay a chunk of change for it. But I mean, he's got plenty out there. I mean, Tops still made cards back then, so mm-hmm. you're talking the 0304 season. Yeah, Tops was still around.
1: Top C fifty five Pacific. Topps, C55, Pacific.
0: Yep. Pacific was still around, so all their releases were out there, and yep. you know, Flurry was the I don't want to say the cornerstone of a lot of those a lot he of those was, products, though. but he kind of was. Yeah. To many of those sets.
1: I mean, a goalie Um, taken first overall is kind of a big deal.
0: Oh, it absolutely is a big deal because it doesn't happen very often.
1: Well, Rick DiPietro and then Marc-Andre Fleury.
0: Yeah, and look look where Rick is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like divergent lines on a line graph. One way, one going this way, one going that way.
0: Yeah, I've told you before, my DiPietro memory is him getting knocked out by Brent Johnson.
1: Yeah, good good on Brent Johnson though, because he like he like dropped him with one punch and then he just backed off right away. He was just like, All right, I really hurt this kid. I'm gonna <laughs> Well he,
0: he dropped him and he was going down and you could see like he grabbed hold of him so he didn't like slam against the the right. ice as he was going down. So but I mean yeah, that and- was part of that big huge line brawl that between the Islanders after uh, Gillies crushed Eric Tangrady in that one one game. That was like the retribution game.
1: And DiPietro Pietro skated out to fight.
0: Oh, yeah. He with wanted Brent to Johnson. Do it. so Brent. Was he, it wasn't like Brent wasn't Johnson happy.
1: attacked him.
0: Well, think of this what if Flurry would have been in that that night? Would he have gone out and gone at it? I don't know if he would. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know. But
1: no, I'm, but, but I'm sure like four other guys would have tackled him before he got to Flurry.
0: Yeah, probably. But um, back to our point, there's a lot of flurry rookie cards that year based off of all the sets that were produced back then but again the big one is obviously the the young gun i have quite a few flurry rookies but i too do not have the young gun i know shocking
1: right hey uh let's wrap up the show with uh, a little bit of talk about covid19 so it, it canceled uh or excuse me it postponed some of the games the Calgary Flames, they had like seven COVID cases. I think it was six players and one trainer, all at the same time. And so they had to postpone their games. And so uh, I think this is now leading to some discussion about will the NHL players want to go to the Olympics because China is going to have some strict COVID rules where if you get covid at the games you have to quarantine for two weeks so um as i understand it as somebody was explaining so if you play in the olympics but then you get covid towards the end of the tournament not only can you not play anymore because you have covid you have to quarantine but you have to quarantine for two weeks before you could travel back to north america so i mean you might miss two weeks of the NHL season following the Olympics. And these are the very best players going to the Olympics. Now, I'm not saying, so, okay, let's send a bunch of fourth-line scrubs. I mean, that's also horrible, no matter who you are.
0: But it wouldn't even be that. If the NHL's out, they're out. I mean, it's going to be amateur No,
1: But I mean, fourth-line scrubs when you had guys like like the 2018 team, remember?
0: Yeah. I know what you
1: mean you know, you had guys who were, like, ex-NHL players, like, USA and Canada was pretty much all ex-NHLers, you know what I mean? And so, I'm I'm not saying that makes it right, like, all right, look, some, some college kids, or some minor pro guys, or, or whatever, like, you know, because they can also get infected with COVID just as easily as Sidney Crosby and Patrick Kane can, you know, so... Right, um, but you're
0: talking about players that are going to come from a development, either a development program, or the junior program, or one of the other USA hockey programs versus the NHL players that are garnered or that are under the not only the NHL agreements but the NHLPA agreements mm-hmm. and they already they already have the um the the decision in place that they have until January 10th to opt out if they have to without without incurring a penalty now so i mean we're just coming off of covid the NHL was shut down they lost God knows how much revenue over the course of time. You think they're going to want to pay a penalty for opting out after January 10th? I doubt it.
1: Basically, if they don't send their players, they're not going to have a hockey tournament or they're just not going to have, I mean, how does this happen then? Like, what happens?
0: I mean, if the NHL players don't go, I think the hockey tournament's still going to go on. Without a
1: Team USA and a Team Canada?
0: I mean, it still went on in 2018, which the NHL players didn't go to. But you'll have, like I said, you'll have Team USA filled with USA program players or college Mm -hmm. players or overseas professionals that are playing.
1: But you don't Um, even have a lot of time to, like, get that together. I guess that's kind of true of any Olympic tournament anyways when you have, like, professional
0: well, anytime you have the professionals going into those types of things, they're usually in the middle of their season. So unless right. that unless that league's going to take time off, which the NHL usually does, still you don't have the time leading up to it. You're right. at your you're at your game and you're playing and you're doing your morning practices and then in between those you're going over to wherever and you're skating with your you know Team USA team and and stuff like that, trying to do those workouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know. Do we get replacement players, like you said, guys that are playing in the KHL that are American and Canadian? Do they jump on teams? I mean, who, what was uh, Brian Gianta? Mm-hmm. You know, he was what? Like, he was like 40 when he was like the captain of Team USA mm-hmm. uh, back then. So, you know, could we have players like that? Maybe. I think absolutely the players still want to go. But I think, like you said, the question is now getting deeper and deeper ingrained into their heads. Like, is this really a good idea? Cause right. I guarantee no one wants to be stuck over there. And right. if that truly is the case that they have to quarantine there rather than get on a plane, fly back here and quarantine wherever they are, that's going to be the deal breaker for, I would say the vast
1: majority. Mm-hmm. That's for yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I would enjoy that. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They can't, players who are not in the nhl they they have more to gain and less to lose if they end up quarantining i mean by all accounts now people who are fully vaccinated if they do test positive for covid they either are asymptomatic they have very mild symptoms yeah either no symptoms or mild symptoms that and so They're positive, but they're not sick or they're a little sick. And now we're talking about like these athletes in like peak condition. So their symptoms are a lot less than if you're like, you know, a hundred pounds overweight and don't exercise at all. It's going to affect that type of person more than, you know, an, an athlete in peak physical condition because of the way COVID attacks the fat cells in the bloodstream. I guess what I'm saying is, is, yeah, if you're making a lot of money playing in the NHL, you don't get I mean, you don't get docked pay if you're out with COVID, but I can understand you saying, this isn't worth it, I'm a top-line player on my team, and yes, I want to play in the Olympics, but no, I don't want to miss part of the season or potentially get sick and miss part of the NHL season or whatever. So, I, I don't know. I mean, whereas I, maybe if you're – a minor league player, you think, well, this can raise my my profile. I mean, look at um, – I know this is apples and oranges, but the uh, World Championship last year. Look at what it did for uh, Brian Boyle's career.
0: Oh, sure. How's he I mean, doing with the
1: Pens? He, res- he scored tonight. Yeah, he scored the first goal for the, the Penguins. I think he actually scored – I think that was the first game of the season. I think he scored the first goal of the season.
0: Yeah, and he's – like I said, he scored tonight. I mean, he's not getting – Besides, it's not the point you were making. He's not—he's not getting as much of the ice time on power play and penalty kill and stuff. But you know, when it's time to jump on the ice, he's there and he's mm-hmm. chipping in, and mm-hmm. you know, he's contributing and everything else. But nobody else would give him a chance. And he didn't play at all last
1: year. No. So. And he went to the—he went to the World Championships. He captained Team USA.
0: Yeah, and they gave him an invite to camp and said, "Hey, we'll give you a PTO and see mm-hmm. what happens." And they signed him on the day before the first day of the season.
1: Which was awesome, and then he scored a goal right away.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, you got stuff like that. Look, the NHL is almost 100% vaccinated. There aren't that many players that aren't. But the protocols for for the Olympics are kind of crazy. Well, depends on what side of the fence you are. They're a lot more restrictive, let's put it that way. There's a 14-day travel ban prior to going to China. Mm -hmm. You got to test negative. You have to show proof of vaccination You got to take two tests before, two tests after. You got to be in isolation once you get there. You have to take multiple tests while you're there. Like, they're supposed to be like 24 hours apart from each other. Mm -hmm. And then you can take one test one day and then go two days and then have to take another test. And then you have to take another one like 72 hours before the end of the games. I was reading all this kind of stuff. I'm like, this is nuts. Like the amount of stuff in hoops that they have to jump through to get to this. and it all may be for not because look at how fast this has been spreading through these teams' locker rooms. Like you said, all these games get are being canceled. We had you know the, the flames
2: mm-hmm.
0: had recent issues. Uh, I think they announced the hurricanes had like four or five other players test positive. Mm-hmm. So those games postponed put on post were postponed. The wild have had issues. I mean, earlier this year, we've seen it through how many teams? Barzell, I just saw today, just got put on COVID protocol. So did Brad Marchand. It's like one after the other. And so one guy gets it, then another guy gets it, then three more guys get it, then five more guys get it. And it's like, okay, now we have to start canceling games. I don't know. I get it. But if it puts you to the point where you're canceling regular season games to try to get by i don't know that this is gonna be a good idea that upper management is gonna sign off on by the deadline agree and whether it's gonna piss off a lot of players or not i mean so be it they're still planning for all-star weekend in vegas i mean that's still a go as of right now and I'm sure there's gonna have they're gonna have to do something similar with the same kind of protocols, you know, isolating players and all of that kind of stuff, because now you don't have just like one team going to another team or that team going to this team. Now you have all these players coming from all these markets and all these areas all coming to one spot. So, I mean, I don't even know how they're gonna pull that off. Honestly, I think do what you want with the Olympics. You know, I saw I saw something today. Somebody said this today and I I thought it was an interesting point. (laughs) Because of what the rules are here and in Canada, let's bring that tournament over here Mm -hmm. and just forget having that. China can have all the rest of the stuff, but let's just bring the hockey part of it and bring it over to North America and do that. I'd be down for that. That'd be cool. But that'll never happen.
1: And I think part of it is the NHL wants to grow the game in China. Because you have all those people there, and if you could get people interested in hockey like they're interested in NBA basketball, that would be a boom for them because they see that as an untapped market. You know, it's and an they had like the China games. The
0: game, but it's also an untapped market for the financial aspect of it. That's the right,
1: right. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know, the NHL had the China games a couple of years ago where they had like some some games in in China. They're you know they're trying to grow that. I don't know. Honestly, if there's no NHL players, I wouldn't be that upset about it. And if they didn't even have the hockey tournament because of no NHL players, and if they just all said, ah, screw it. I, I'm sure Russia would still want to send a team and just beat everybody and get a gold medal like they did in 2018. If NHL um,
0: players don't go to the Olympics, I also think the NHL should cancel the All-Star game.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good idea. But see, they won't.
0: They won't, but I think they should. Just for this year. We don't know where it's going to be next year. But right. right now, it still hasn't gone away. I don't know. That's just what I think. I mean, there's going to be plenty of people that disagree with that take, and that's fine. But I just think if we don't send the players to the Olympics, I don't see any reason why we need to have the All-Star Game. Just either take a week off for something and I don't know, hang out with your kids instead. And then go back and finish the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, quarantine for a week and then finish the season. Yeah. Anything else before we uh, call this a podcast?
0: No, I I think that's it. We've pretty much covered what was on the agenda as well as many more things like we always do. So hopefully people enjoy.
1: I think they do. Or if they didn't, they wouldn't listen this long.
0: And if you aren't listening, then you won't hear what I have to say. Which is? Nothing.
1: Nothing. Oh, Nothing. I thought you were no. going to give some card advice.
0: No, I'm not going to give any card advice, and I'm also not going to tell you what my secret collection is yet. So.
1: Yeah. 9192 Bill Guerin Rookie Cards.
0: Well, everybody knows I have those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're the reason why I can't find any on eBay. Probably. Probably. Because
0: I can't find any on there either. When I do, they're gone.
1: Well, okay then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like. Please be sure to subscribe. Please be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support this podcast, please buy a shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. Please follow Tim on Twitter at TheRealDFG. Follow me on Twitter at Puck Junk. And until next time, collect what you like.
0: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.